0: Welcome to Lame Stream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavenish. And if you like this show, this
1: one right here that is coming straight into your eardrums, rate, review, subscribe, nay, smash the subscribe button.
0: Uh, I would ask you to click all of the buttons, whether that's on a YouTube page, a social media account, a podcast app, just anywhere you think there's a button that you think would help us just help us out. Just click the buttons. It's not that hard to do. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. So, Pete Weber on the show today. Not very often, Steve, we get a Hall of Famer on the program, and Pete Weber, as the Predators have four games basically left to go in the regular season, they are probably going to get into the playoffs, and we... I don't know if you... It, it, for those of you that have never spent any time around Pete, and Pete is a man of the people, so he tries to be... He's, try, he's tried for 25 years to be out there amongst the, the fans, and he's oh, great boy. About, He's he's great about that, but if you've ever spent any more than five seconds with Pete, you've probably heard eleven stories in those five seconds. So we we, no no man diverges from a question and then gets back onto topic better than Pete Weber does. And so he told us
1: it's almost like he spent a career telling (laughs) stories in like thirty second increments.
0: for 50 years. (laughs) So (laughs) Pete Weber, uh, awesome conversation. He's going to tell you so many great stories about his career, about the Predators, about moving to Nashville, about working with all the great people he's worked with, Chris Mason, Hal Gill, Stu Grimson, Brent Peterson. Um, And we've got a little special, special surprise for you at the end of the episode that you're going to want to hear at the end of our conversation that I promise you will not disappoint. So therefore, we are not even going to have ratings and recommendations at the end of the show today because we don't want to step on Pete Weber today. Pete Weber bonus content at the end. (laughs) Yes. So make sure you stay tuned for that. So, But we will discuss a couple of things here on the front end of the show. We're going to discuss uh, Apple and Amazon potentially getting into the NFL rights uh, broadcast rights world, as well as the Big Ten contract and what that means for streamers out there, as well as our favorite hobby subject in all of Nashville sports. Major League Baseball coming to town. We've got huge news, Steve. Huge news on that front.
1: Is it coming to town?
0: That we will discuss momentarily before we do that. However, Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner. Sign up for the Banner's newsletter, by the way. Go to NashvilleBanner.com and sign up. Lamestream Sports is a podcast about Nashville sports, media, and business. And it is brought to you by... Jasper's. Always brought to you by the fine folks at Jasper's. The game room is free. The parking is free. The menu is exceptional. The happy hours are great. And the Preds are going to be playing playoff mm-hmm. games. And you're going to need a place to watch it, along with the NFL draft next week. And that place is Jaspers. Burgers are great. Drink specials are great. Grab and go Park. market. It's just a and great the, place. And the parking is always free. Yes.
1: It's, not, it's what you would expect from the next evolution of the sports bar.
0: It, it is. It's, ex- it's exactly the next evolution of the sports bar. In fact, I don't know how they're going to continue to evolve. Uh, I, I don't know how what, what what will they think of next Steve because um, they added a free game room just like last month <laughs> so uh, they're just constantly evolving and doing things for you guys so go to Jaspers okay um, we'll get to the NFL rights conversation broadcast rights because that's like a serious interesting thoughtful nuanced complex conversation we'll get to that in just a second of course Pete Weber coming up in a little while however are we closer to having baseball come to Nashville, Steve? Is this happening? Is baseball coming to Nashville? No. <laughs> All right. So the NFL naming rights. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess my question is, and this has been your thing. I'll give you some space to, to really explore the studio on this one. But this has been your pet, pet peeve project <laughs> for a while now, which is that this is just a publicity stunt. It's just PR. Is the latest round of news. Explain to people what it is and why you still think it's, Just a publicity stunt at this point still. Well,
1: I mean, it looks like they have found new places to send their press releases. Uh, (laughs) This week, this week, it was front office sports. Hey, congratulations, front office sports. That's a good company, too. You are now getting you are now getting Music City Baseball LLC's uh, press releases. Congratulations. (laughs) Listen, I I, I, I saw that I saw this some. And by the way, thanks for like the fifty of you that sent me this thing. Uh, the uh, it's it's good to be known for something.
0: I was I was I was one of them. I was guilty. <laughs>
1: uh, I saw the I saw the press release slash series of tweets that front office sports put out, and I was looking for something new in there. And the 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 line that the line that just killed me was, <laughs> we are now targeting. <laughs> We are now targeting rich minority owners uh, for the next three to four years. <laughs> it's like we've been targeting somebody, anybody who will write us a check for the last three or four years, and nobody has, and, and, and no capital B billionaire has stepped has up. I, I will say Lee Barfield's name is on, uh, is on their list. He's got money. But he, Lee Barfield definitely has money. I mean, he is, he is, a, he is, he is frist adjacent. As they say, uh, and Lee Barfield can't bring us a can't bring us a, uh, a, a a stadium and a and a baseball team all by himself. So it, 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 the the fact of the matter is, it, until until they say Bill Haslam is now a part of the ownership group, and by the way, it'll be Bill Haslam's ownership group at that point. Uh, yeah, it's no longer
0: you, Music City Baseball. It's no longer <laughs> okay.
1: no all of this stuff that's going
0: on, they don't have a place to put a stadium. Uh, They, they don't. I I was going to say, let let me, let me lay this out real fast. It's going to be about what? Three to $4 billion for everything. Expansion fee, um, stadium costs, uh, you know, whatever They, they don't have. They're about 4 billion away from that. So, so they're about 4 billion shy of the 4 billion. They need, they need a $2 billion expansion fee They have to find a way to pay for a stadium. They have to find a place to put the stadium and then pay for it all. So I don't, I don't literally, what do they have? Because again, here's the thing. We are all for minority sports ownership. I think that's great. I think it's a great concept. I think it's important that that's a thing. I like baseball. I don't know about you, Steve, but I like baseball. I'm all for baseball. I I don't, until there's any of those questions have been answered, which they still have not, I I don't know what we're supposed to tell people.
1: I mean. Congratulate them for successful placement of another press release. I mean that that's all this is. That's all this is. It, but it was a really hey, it
0: was a really nice photo of five older men holding bats.
1: Well, they've they've had a lot of practice. They're getting better at it. I mean, I, the Dave Stewart photo is great. It is. I love it. It Who is. doesn't? Man, Dave Stewart was I a know. bad man when he was on the mound. No, like like, legitimately one of the few pitchers that could inject fear into batters and you know if he's part of it great uh, the 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 funniest the, the funniest tweets about the, all this had to do from Oakland A's fans who are dealing with one of the worst owners at, uh, in baseball right now and you know the, supposedly uh, Oakland and Tampa Bay are the two that are sort of like on the block to move someplace and and the, the A's fans were just turning themselves inside out at the fact that Dave Stewart, Oakland A's legend, could be responsible for the Oakland A's leaving, leaving the Bay Area. Uh, it's just, it's what a what a mess.
0: If you want to see Steve turned into his oldest, most cynical yelling at Cloud self, just tweeted him about is baseball coming to Nashville? Yeah, thanks. That that is literally thanks. like I've never seen you get more worked up that when people are like, I can't, oh, baseball's coming. And then they're like, tweet office is like tweeting out renderings from like three and a half years ago we're like what are you doing they're
1: they're tweeting out the renderings that literally the state and the state and county and everybody else are about to spend billions to pave over with another project (laughs) in that spot where they're talking about there's going to be there's going to be mixed use development there's going to be a new (laughs) titan stadium there's going to be all sorts of great stuff you know what there's not going to be a fucking baseball
0: stadium. All right. Okay. Are you done? I'm you feel done. better? You feel better? All right. So some, some actual news that affects the way we watch at the NFL. Um, obviously for those that don't know, Amazon has snagged the Thursday night football purchase uh, 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 time slot from the NFL. So Amazon will of course carry Thursday night football this year and the Sunday ticket rights package, which Directv has owned, I think since like 94 or something, basically. Um, Will, uh, there are some reports surfacing that there is already a deal done with Apple, that the deal is close to being done, something along those lines, some very big insiders. Um, so if you want to, I don't remember the person's blog, the, the name, you, you're very familiar with this guy, but he basically Apple, Apple TV Plus is trying, to, is trying to acquire or has acquired the rights to Sunday tickets starting in 2023, which would move all of your out-of-market games Onto a streaming platform for those of you that are watching, you know, if you're a, a fan of another team in Nashville. So, it, Apple and Amazon making two massive plays with all those stacks of billions of dollars sitting in their basement because Silicon Valley has all the money right now. They're making huge plays into the broadcast rights world. And the Big Ten contract could be a part of this as well moving forward. Half of the Big Ten contract is up for renegotiation. The Pac 12, the Big 12 is up for negotiation. The SEC is largely owned exclusively by ESPN. But basically, these streamers are getting into football for a reason. And I think people need to understand that (laughs) this is the direction this is all going. At some point, we're all going to be watching our live sports on streaming platforms. And we just need to get ready for it. I I could not be more excited
1: uh, for Sunday Ticket to leave DirecTV. and, And here's why. Sunday Ticket fundamentally has not innovated in X number of years. I mean, as, as more and more of us are, are, are getting our games via different methods, uh, they, finally added, they they finally were reluctant to come to a streaming package. They won't break this off into different kind of a la carte packages. Uh, they won't break off just, um, just Red Zone into, into something that I can buy separately. You know, I'm I'm looking forward to somebody else having the rights so that they can look at it in a different way for the for for consumers. And the great thing is, if if the Apple rumors are true, and the the guy the blog you're referencing is a, is a blog named a blog called Daring Fireball. It's been like one of the best you know best Apple blogs for you know a couple of decades now. The the great thing about Apple coming to it fresh would be their idea. Their idea is not let's, how can we squeeze every cent out of this? Because that's not what Apple wants to do with it. Apple's content program is all in support of you buying more Apple TV boxes, more iPhones, more iPads, more whatever else. And they're going to, they're going to, they're going to cut this up in different ways. And, and I'm, and I can't wait to see kind of like, the different ways that the different ways that you will be able to to, to purchase the the old Sunday ticket package, uh, I, I'm I'm just I, I'm I'm so I've been so frustrated with the Directv model here for a, for a few years now.
0: So so here's what's interesting and what I find fascinating to your point about their motives. Number one, it's just to to continue to cement themselves along trying to trying to basically gain ground on Netflix and Amazon and these other companies that are sort of ahead of them in the streaming world in terms of number of subscribers so in theory they could offer the entire thing for free just to gain script just to gain subscribers and if they gain enough that would cover the cost potentially of what a, a couple billion dollars worth of, of broadcast rights fees what's fascinating to, and this is I think what you're getting at what is fascinating to me is, how do they charge a little extra for it? I don't think you can just automatically add the price because there's a lot of people that already have Apple TV that don't give a shit at all about the NFL. So I don't think you can jack up the price and try to recoup your cost that way. What I think is going to be fascinating is if they do it by team. That's what I want to know. If they do it by team, if I can go on to Apple TV Plus and I can order just Green Bay Packers games, and instead of three hundred dollars for Sunday ticket, I can pay. You what, pay a hundred
1: bucks. You would pay hundred. A hundred
0: dollars. I would pay a hundred dollars to get every green Bay Packers game, all 17 in Nashville off my streaming device. I would pay, I would do that in a heartbeat. I would pay a hundred dollars. How, how
1: many out of market NFL fans do you think there are in America?
0: That, that's, that's what they're banking on is that there are hundreds of millions. <laughs> yep. And the way not, that maybe they... not hundreds of millions, tens of millions, the, the way that they have approached this
1: is with this huge package for years where you got everything and you could only get everything. And it was in this clunky thing for a long time. It was only by a satellite dish. And then they've been, you've been able to stream it here or in, in recent years, but it is, it, it is, it is this big monolith approach to uh, approach to the rights. And, and, and I cannot, I cannot wait for somebody else to go, Oh, you, Fan of the you know of the New England Patriots who lives in L.A. You are going to pay me money to just watch your team because you don't care about the L.A. Rams. I mean, how many how, how many uh, how many non-Titans fans live in Nashville right now yep. that you can think of? You, yep. you know, and that will pay for their just their team. I mean, and and the only reason, of them,
0: yeah, exactly. The only reason. So how to your point, how they cut it up is going to be fascinating, and how they charge people, where they charge people. You know all that kind of th- all that kind of stuff. But what's interesting to me, and the reason I bring up the Big Ten contracts and some of the other conferences in, in college football, is that Amazon and Apple TV have a chance to because they've grabbed the NFL or reportedly grabbed the NFL. If they can grab a an isolated college football window, let's call it Maxion on Wednesday and a Big Ten game on Friday night, and all of a sudden if a standalone window on Wednesday and Friday. The reason this is important to people in Nashville is that you're you're going to see which streaming service is getting serious about sports. That's what you're going to find out. If Apple TV goes in and gets some Big Ten football games and all of a sudden has Big Ten football or Pac-12 football, they're going to take the lead in the sports in the race for live sports programming on streaming platforms. And that that's what's interesting to me is all these companies are sort of vying for the next 35 years of consumption habits. And that's what I think is really interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, it's like it's like the, it's like the scene at the last of the end of the last Avengers movie. Now we're in the end game. Now we can <laughs> now we can see kind of like how this is how this is all going to sort of play out. Broadcast, I mean, and we've talked about this at, you know, at, at infinitum. The broadcast needs live sports because that is the only surefire way of, uh, of attracting eyeballs uh, in, 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 with any sort of scale anymore because, because, you know, dramas and comedies and, and all and reality, and all the traditional programming is so scattered across so many different services and, and, and channels they need, they need something that is the sure thing. And so they're, they're not going to they're not going to go quietly. And, this is not going to happen overnight that all of a sudden everything is streaming, but there's about to be a lot more consumer choice.
0: Slowly, but surely bite by bite by bite. It's all going to transition there. And pretty soon I'm assuming we're going to have to have all these tech companies like conglomerate. And all of a sudden we're going to have like Netflix prime. And it's just going to be a combination of the two. Cause you're not going to want to have 47 different logins for 47 different apps. They're going to have to, this is why you can bundle ESPN plus Hulu and Disney plus into one thing. Well because and if you, you can, have you an Apple TV, one. if
1: you have an Apple TV box, I mean what you have noticed here over the years is that interface for Apple for, for the actual Apple TV app has changed. And so it you know it pushes Apple content, but it also aggregates every subscription that you have into it. And so it it can tell you, oh, you know, I watched an episode of X on Netflix or I watched an yep, episode yep, of X yep. on Amazon Prime and that's all load that that's all yeah. loaded in there so you can you, they, what they want is a single they want to get it down to a single place that you are coming to yeah. that is that is this consumer friendly user interface Do you,
0: do you think they track all of that too? Like wh- how much you're watching and where and what? and when? No, do you, do you think they could? No, potentially nobody sell would ever do to that to sell that to somebody. Would never do Eventually. that. Um, it's so funny you mentioned that DirecTV has not innovated. We got DirecTV as a family, like in literally like in '94 when it first came out because of Sunday Ticket, because we lived in Austin, Texas, and wanted to watch Packers games. I was like 12 years old, and it's so funny that you were like, Oh, they haven't really integrated. That's that's because somebody bought them a few years ago, right? <laughs> and... And all I hear is one guy's voice telling me that Business Daddy hasn't done any innovation. <laughs> that's all. That's all I'm hearing because they their product got worse after that. That there's no question about that. So, I, I wonder. Uh, so, side note here: would which
1: Red Zone would you buy if you could buy just one? Which one would you buy? Would you buy um, the Hanson one, or would you buy the um... if I
0: if I got Titans games in market on broadcast and I got the big games of the week, which as a Packers fan is a lot of times the Packers um, on Sunday night, Thursday night, Monday night. And I got all those games along with the Titans game. And then I could purchase Packers games. I actually don't, I actually don't care about the rest of it. I, See, I mean, I, honestly, I may, like I may be a red
1: zone addict at this point.
0: I do enjoy, I'm, I'm with you on the red zone, but I you can get that for free already with most of your TV subscriptions are not free, but like as an ad, you know, a yeah. dollar I mean, 29 a month or whatever. You can
1: you know? get it. I mean, we watched, we watched it through, through YouTube TV this year because they, they had it as an adult. Yeah.
0: I, I would, I, I would definitely want to watch Titans games and Packers games. And then the third, the, the Sunday night game. And those are like the three that I have time to consume. Cause I'm busy on Saturday, Steve. Yeah. I, I I'm on, I'm a, I'm a 9.00 AM to, 11 p.m. pack 12 after dark take your pants off and drink some whiskey that saturday night is my that, that saturdays are my days so <laughs> too so. much information but i would pay for i would pay for packers games titans games and if i got the sunday night game i'd be good that's all i need uh would be those three on a sunday all right so enough conversation about uh baseball not coming to nashville and how we're all going to watch football on apple soon uh so there you go there, there's the show today no ratings and recommendations coming up but we do. I promise you, you're going to want to stick around to the end of the Pete Weber interview. It will be worth your time. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so without any more blathering from us, here was our wonderful conversation with the Hall of Fame broadcaster for the Nashville Predators, Mr. Pete Weber. Pete, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh pleasure is all ours at least I'll speak for myself. I don't know about Cavendish here, but the pleasure is ours. Um uh, okay. we don't get we don't get a Hall of Famer on the show very often, so we really really appreciate it. And I'm just going to start we're going to talk a lot about your career and about the Preds, you know, over the last 20 years, but I want to start with an example of this, which is t- t- Tuesday evening you go into overtime, you have this really dramatic fun game that's back and forth, you know, the Preds take the lead, they give up the lead, it ends up going into overtime. You've called a lot of overtime winners in the playoffs as well, which is a different sort of vibe. How do you prepare? How do you go into when those moments arise? Like how how does your job change when you're into those moments, like with a couple of games left to go or overtime in the playoffs? Like how do you view your role changing in those moments?
2: You understand the urgency of it, uh, particularly this time of year when you're trying to put yourself in position to make the postseason. but in so far as The preparations for it, you cannot truly prepare for that. You have to know there's a possibility. But have certain things done, and I could email you later what my score sheet looks like, and it's all set up with who has scored when in overtime in the regular year, who has done what in shootouts. Uh, But you just have to be prepared to flow with that. That's something that, uh, you know, oftentimes just does not get used. What is that? Last night it was uh, the sixth shootout of the year or something for the Preds, fifth shootout. So it just doesn't happen all that frequently. Maybe for some teams it does, uh, but not for the Preds.
0: I was going to say, do you have a – you've called a lot of overtime winners in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, Have you ever written anything out? Have you ever planned anything? Have you ever thought, you know – Again, we've got Mike Fisher's goal from a couple of yeah. years back. We've got so many great moments. And it is just one of the most exhilarating moments in any sport is overtime hockey. It's a special, a special sports situation. Maybe a home run in the bottom of the 12th or something in baseball <laughs> could compare to that. But what? Wh- how do you compare that type of moment to any other sport, trying to call that, that situation with the right level
2: of, of, of excitement? The right level of excitement, uh, adrenaline for me, and I just let it flow. Uh, allows me to, I think, reflect that. Now, that Mike Fisher triple overtime goal in 2016, the context of it all, here it was a school night. It was after one o'clock in the morning. It didn't appear anybody had left the building, not even Elvis. Elvis was still there. So uh, there may have been somebody who had the uh, bathroom urgency uh, creep up on them, but uh, really couldn't figure that all out. And the funniest part, of that call for me. I was working that night with Brent Peterson and because we were in the second round, there was no local television allowed. So Terry Crisp was upstairs hanging around us. And when that goal went in, he squeezed Brent Peterson so hard from behind <laughs> that you could hear all of the breath leave Brent's body as I was telling everybody to go ape, everybody, go ape and and that was just uh well, every time I hear that recording, I, I at least emit a little bit of a giggle, if not just an out and out belly laugh
1: <laughs> Terry, what do you what do you
0: do that's I'm, that's I'm, Pete, by the way, not Terry. Um, sorry.
1: Listen, listen, you know how many
2: times that happens? You you said, you said Terry and put it in my head.
3: Yeah. But I said, Terry does
2: It's unbelievable how many times I can be out in public in a store someplace. (laughs) And Terry and I are together. And they call me (laughs) Terry and they call him Pete. And then they mix up our, our wives names as well. So we have Claudia Crisp and Sheila Weber or no vice versa. It's uh, it's really strange
1: in that, in that sort of moment, you're conscious of, of when to throw to, uh, when to throw to your partner throughout the game. Yes. Uh, how do you, how do you incorporate them back in at that point? Because it's over, it's, it's loud, it's raucous. Maybe you don't need to analyze it or have it analyzed right then, but how do you, how do you get them back involved?
2: Well, the idea is to look over and see if they have thrown their clothes off and are jumping (laughs) up and down, in which case I will wait until they have reclothed themselves and and come back into it. But I mean, thank God it's radio. I was gonna say it's radio. It's fine. You could do the show naked. It's fine. That you know something? I think that deserves some sort of experimentation coming up in the very near future. (laughs) Thank you for that, Braden. I appreciate the whole idea. (laughs) But to incorporate them. Uh, there were some great lines from some previous broadcast teams that I won't uh, name the participants, but there would be questions asked if there's a, a long stretch of just back and forth, back and forth. And the guy would say to his partner, are you still with me? Uh, <laughs> of course he's still with you. He hasn't had a chance to jump in quite yet. So I'm very conscious of that and keeping them worked in and seeing you know, we, we also have visual cues seeing if somebody is ready to jump and then providing that uh, opportunity.
0: So uh, you've had a lot of different, uh, I don't know how, how many different analysts have you had through TV and radio? Do you have, I'm, I'm On the about half a dozen or so, I guess. Yeah.
2: Uh, so it'd be Terry Crisp and Mike Greenlay from the first year. Uh, there was a time one night when, uh, Terry was afflicted last minute during our morning meeting with kidney stones. And all of a sudden I had, uh, you know, a a scratched Predators player step in who, when we went on camera the first time, Jeremy Stevenson, he looked like Ricky Ricardo when Lucy had done something rather, uh, (laughs) rather strange or certainly alarming. Uh, Then I've had um, Brent Peterson. I've had Chris Mason. I've had Stu Grimson. Uh, and uh, and now Hal Gill. So, yeah, about half a dozen uh, just working here. But that's not that many in 24 years.
0: No, it's it's actually not. And, and a lot of those over the last couple of years. So t- can you take us through sort of what each of them brings personality wise and how your job changes depending yeah. on who you're working with and how you approach like Hal's a great storyteller? And like, like yes. you know, c- give, give me sort of the ins and outs on how you approach working with each one of those guys.
2: Well, I'm going to ask Cal questions and and not try to demean his career because you you shouldn't demean it at all, but he was a defensive defenseman. Crispy was a scorer in junior hockey, came to the NHL and played primarily at first for uh, Scotty Bowman in St. Louis. And Scotty Bowman told him he was going to be a checker if he was going to play in the NHL. This is a guy who racked up 30-goal seasons in uh, junior hockey. And uh, so Terry has that perspective. Hal has the perspective of, def- of a defenseman. Brent Peterson, tremendous centerman, great on face-offs. As a matter of fact, he was so good defensively, Wayne Gretzky offered to send him a dozen of his sticks because Brent kept grabbing his. So <laughs> Wayne thought that he wanted his sticks that badly. The Titans, uh, Chris Mason is a goaltender who like Pecorino has scored two goals in his pro career, but unlike Pecorino, didn't shoot him in his own net. It was, uh, it was people, it was people who had, uh, intercepted the puck in a, in a, uh, net empty situation. For example, the NHL goal scored by Chris Mason was actually scored or put into the net by Jeff Sanderson. Uh, out West. And then uh, he had a similar play in the American hockey league with the Milwaukee admirals. I do believe that Chris is the only one to score a goal in both leagues, the American league and the NHL. So, uh, and, and then, but Brent Peterson just asked me, do not ask about that faceoff in the final game of the series with the Boston Bruins in 1983, when he got beat on the draw and then Brad Park scored the uh, overtime and series winner, so I never ask him about that on the air. Who
1: was who was the most ready, the most ready for action when they came to you? Because sometimes they were coming just you know straight off the ice, at, yeah. you know, They ended their career and, and and came into a booth with you. Who was who was the most ready, kind of for either for camera or for radio?
2: I'd have to say Crispy because he had already worked for TSN in Canada and for Fox here in the U S uh, and actually when I'm thinking about this, I'm kind of amazed. I've only had uh, two goaltenders to work with. When you look around professional hockey, many of the color commentators are ex goaltenders. So uh, Chris Mason and Mike Greenley, and Mike Greenlay, uh a goaltender growing up in Calgary. And uh, when he went with me back to Calgary, that first season, he really wanted me to introduce him to the play-by-play voice of the flames on TV because he had grown up watching that guy host stampede wrestling on Saturdays <laughs> in the afternoon. So I, I had to take care of Ed Whalen. This is Mike Greenlay. Mike, this is Ed Whelan.
1: What, why so many goalies uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a broadcast booth?
2: I think it's comparable to my baseball time where so many catchers end up doing the same thing. They are in position to see the whole play unfold. Uh, you know, we're not going to see, I don't think, uh, too many centermen who especially was face-offs other than Brent Peterson get that chance. I think maybe more should, but I think it's their perspective, their, their view of the play and their long time to dissect it. Because if you're not getting involved physically as a goaltender normally does not with the exception of Ron Hextall, uh, if you are in that, you are able to have a, a, uh, sort of passive uh, look at the play and have the chance to really digest it.
0: I I, I heard I think Doc Emery talked about this that he doesn't he he can't look at numbers when he's nope. do when he's calling a game. He he knows who has the puck based on how they're skating. How yeah. I don't I don't know if that's sort of your philosophy as well. But just how long does it take you as a broadcaster to know exactly who the player is with the puck without ever having to look at any tip sheet or score sheet or number or oh yeah i I couldn't see the side of their number or whatever like because obviously at bridgestone people that for people that
2: don't know at bridgestone you guys are way up high and yeah in most places now right i mean in, in edmonton in the new building there where they are owned by a media company we are as high and far back as you can get so i think if i were to check the Canadian postal codes were not even in the same postal code <laughs> as the ice surface. I, I think we end up doing the games in Spruce Grove, Alberta, as opposed to Edmonton. Uh, that it is a challenge. I mean, because when I started doing hockey games uh in the NHL with the LA Kings back 78, 81, we would be in places like the Olympia where you hung right over the ice. The Boston Garden, the same thing. In Winnipeg, we were up high but we were even with the edge of the boards coming out. And uh, now those are prime seats that go to people who can pay the freight.
0: So, so take us through that pro Like how long does it take you broadcasting a single yeah. player to know, like, if that's exactly what Matt Duchesne looks like, or that's exactly what, and even if it's a lower, I don't want to say quote unquote lower tier player, but like a third or yeah, a yeah. fourth liner. How, how many games do you need to call before you can just automatically recognize them without.
2: Wearing anything by watching them skate, it it is tremendous, and their their body language maybe even more than their moves. Uh, but for example, from the very outset, Seth Jones was so easy to detect after he came here to Nashville because he moved like a tall uh, a tall figure skater. He was just so darn smooth, and his. His little brother, he's only 6'3", I believe, Caleb, he moves much the same way, only he shoots left and and uh, Seth shoots right. But it's very intriguing to watch them. And that's the other thing that helps you distinguish who shoots which way, left and right. So you look at things like that for little tips. And I years ago, I did Scotty Bowman's radio show. And he would come up with an answer to a caller. He goes, Well, no, he shoots left. There's no question. There we, we we just check that off right now. And and that's the sort of thing you get into.
1: When uh I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to Bowman here for a second. What was it? What was that it could like take us a
2: while? We what... might not escape that hole. <laughs> <laughs> what was what
1: was it? What was it like? Uh what was it like doing a show with Bowman?
2: Uh he depended upon me for a lot of things, and then he was the general manager and coach of the buffalo Sabres, both jobs and one night he came back just in time to do the show from a european scouting trip and okay it's time for the open phones for scotty bowman and there's this caller on It seems a little long-winded and i'm looking over at scotty at the table next to me and i'm seeing this
0: <laughs> yeah. he's beginning
2: to pass out <laughs> he's falling asleep and then before his chin hit the table the caller's question ended he bounced up and fully cognizant of what was asked, answered the question as thoroughly as you could. Now, when I was with Mike Robitaille at that same period of time doing the uh, pre and post intermissions on Sabres Cable, we were in a studio between the two dressing rooms in the auditorium. And one night, five minutes before air, there's a knock on the door. In comes Scotty's assistant coach, the uh, venerable Joe Crozier. He goes, Pete, Scotty wants to talk to you. Got just a few minutes to come down the hall? Well, it was maybe 10 steps. So sure. I get into Scotty's office, and he was in a very serious discussion with another coach, and he goes, hey, Pete, I've got my fantasy draft coming up tonight. Can you tell me what the starting rotation is going to be for the Chicago White Sox this year? i got to beat Ron Caron this year, and I think that's where I can do it. Not even fantasy hockey. Fantasy baseball. Oh, he, uh, a baseball, absolute baseball nut. When you
0: come to Nashville, because as you've already alluded to here, you had a, a, a pretty l- successful career before you even got here. What was your decision? Uh, why did you make the decision to come to a brand new organization in the middle of the South where hockey hadn't existed before? What, what was the thought process behind making that decision to come here?
2: It was really family related. Uh, I was upstairs in my home office in Kenmore, New York, and uh, monitoring that high-speed internet service, Prodigy Sports. And uh, (laughs) I think my modem was 1,200 baud, so you couldn't believe the (laughs) the speed at which the pages loaded. Particularly in those days, they decided to hold all the pages with black, which took longer still to load. But here came the story. The NHL, this is in the spring of 97, has decided to provisionally award four franchises to Minnesota St. Paul, to Columbus, Ohio, to Atlanta, Georgia, and to Nashville, Tennessee. So seeing that, I yelled downstairs to my wife, Claudia, go, Claudia, wouldn't our holidays be a lot easier for us with your family in Knoxville, Tennessee, if somehow or other I could land with this Nashville still-unnamed franchise? At that point in time, she said, absolutely. So I I looked up on that high-speed internet service. I think it only took me three days, but that Craig Leopold would be the founding owner of the team and where he was located. And and the next day, FedExed my materials to him and then just began to follow up for the next year. Ultimately, one of my friends from Buffalo, Jerry Helper, became the director of communications here. And uh, then once he got in here, uh, Jack Diller I had known from Madison Square Garden. So I just started contacting them. I had known David Poyle from his days with the Washington Capitals. So I just kept hitting up on them. And then so it was uh, the 4th of July weekend in '98 where I took my father-in-law's car from Knoxville and drove over to the then very rudimentary uh, predators offices at the arena and uh, talked with them. and four weeks later, I had a deal. And in August of '98 had the deal and I reported for my first day of work here, first day, first training camp, September 12, 98, and then one week later, there I was doing a game in Huntsville, Alabama, against the Florida Panthers, and Patrick Cote had only three fights that night with <laughs> Peter Worrell.
0: As you, as you guys can all tell, Pete's mind is, is, is losing a little bit here. Uh, he's, losing some, he's losing some edge because uh, he remembers exactly how many fights were in the Huntsville preseason game in 1998. Um, how does your job change? So to, sort of a two-part question, which I know is okay. everybody's favorite. Um, how does your job change as a hockey broadcaster from television to radio? So that's the first question. And as a part of that question, I'd love to know how your, like the language and the depth of knowledge that you used in 99 versus mm-hmm. 2022. How, how has that changed? Like d- your audience certainly knows a lot more now, right? Oh, so yes. so yeah. how has going from TV, wh- what's the differences between TV and radio? And what's the difference in 99 and 2022?
2: Braden, it's good you asked me that because I just had to go through it last weekend because I went back on TV uh, for the first time in a long time working a a farewell telecast with Crispy on Sunday. And I, I keep in mind advice given years ago by Ben Scully. On television, you're captioning things. On radio, you have the whole palette of colors. You have a blank canvas. And it is up to you to paint the picture for the listener. Well, uh, we got complicated a little bit for 12, 13 years of simulcast, which meant, and and I understood right away, more people had access to us on radio than on TV, because on radio, you didn't have to pay for a subscription in order to take in the game. So that was where I, I simplified things quite a bit. And then Crispy and I, during the simulcast era, every now and then I would have a card where I'd write down R A D I O. So he would never say, as you can see, or over here, or something like that, <laughs> so that the radio audience would be fully inclusive in what we were saying, because these are conversations that we're trying to have. And in terms of uh, adding information, subtracting it, there's going to be much more subtraction on television. And I've, I had to think about that greatly <laughs> several days ago. About any question?
1: I don't, think, I don't think anybody would have uh, would have held it against you if you had uh, if you had uh talked as much as you do on radio you go, during,
0: you, during you the just telecast. go you just go left to right on your radio dial oh sorry <laughs> hang on we're on TV yes yes
2: <laughs> and how do I do that on a television dial because nobody has a damn dial anymore they have a digital <laughs> tuner <laughs> how
0: how much uh, going back to that how much um, has your strategy on the information that you deliver changed? as Nashville has matured as a hockey market.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing as many uh, explanations as I did in those first years. And really, I was reminded about that because we were doing very many Hockey 101 courses in the arena theater uh, prior to games, probably two thirds of the time of home games. So I would have had fresh in my mind questions from the people who had turned up for that class. So thinking about adding those in, but the one that I think was persistent, and maybe I probably stuck with longer than others, is the whole idea of changing on the fly. No other sport really has that, and uh, no, no popular sport really has that. Though I, I would love to introduce to basketball, penalty box basketball, after a foul for 30 seconds, you're a man down. Wouldn't that be intriguing? I'd love to see that. Absolutely love to see that. That's an entire. I think possession. what would have happened with Shaq, huh? Shaq, how many dunks would he get as a result of that?
1: No doubt.
0: <laughs> Lame Stream Sports is a Nashville sports media and business podcast hosted by one Mr. Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner, and it is, in fact, brought to you by the wonderful folks at shooters wow thank you Jasper. Da- thank you john daly appreciate that john daly jr just seeing just seeing if the jaspers guys are
1: listening to these uh <laughs> these mid-roll ads
0: oh i know they are <laughs> <laughs> I, I, although we were doing our ad for uh, the gold standard which is a national predators podcast hosted by adam Vingan and myself you should go check that out rate review subscribe um he we, we were talking about hockey nicknames and how in the media you should never use anyone's nickname in, in hockey world. I used to say Lavi a lot instead of Laviolette, just because Laviolette is such a long, stupid word. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I, I would say Lavi a lot, but I would never use like any of the other nicknames and like, like Duchy and Joey and Pex. Like I'm not going to use any of those names. But what would Jasper's hockey nickname be if Jasper's had a hockey nickname? Adam asked me that question, and I did not have a good answer. So you're a writer. You're a creative type. What would Jasper's nickname be if it was a hockey player? Jays. Oh, that's so damn good. I hate you. (laughs) We went to Jays. Well, but doesn't it have to have a Y sound? Like, like, doesn't it have to end in a Y? I guess J-A-Y ends in a Y.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's jay's.
0: we spent an entire come, ad we couldn't come on, do it. come
1: on man free parking at jays let's go
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna tell adam that steve is a way better writer than him oh he knows that <laughs> oh
1: let's i see love if adam, this you're let's, taking let's
0: shots see if Adam's you. listening. <laughs> and i know he does too you're taking shots <laughs> at, at our sponsor and one of your co-workers <laughs> technically co-partners there uh jaspers Great drink specials for National Predators game. Great place to watch the draft. You got a game room. You got shuffleboard, air hockey, Papa Shot, skee ball, all for free. And then you've got, of course, the parking lot also free. The grab and go market not as free, but a lot of really convenient items at low prices. And the menu's great. The happy hours are awesome. I don't, what What else? Go to Jay's. <laughs> go <laughs> do now. You start, do you think Jay's. they're gonna? They've worked so hard to brand themselves for a year and a half with our wonderful and eloquent copy. Um, do you? Do you think? <laughs> you think they're going to be angry at us if we just start calling them Jays?
1: Yo, yo, what's going on, Jays?
0: Going to Jays, man. What are y'all doing tonight? Going to go to Jays. Going to Jays. Which is way better than Jaspies.
1: No, it's not <laughs> Jaspies. It's
0: it, don't ever say Jaspies. I know. I know. That's what I said first. And I was like, oh, that's bad. That's not a good nickname. Uh, what would your nickname be if you were a hockey player? Mine? It would, you know what it would be? It would be Cavi. That's what it would be.
1: I, I don't know. Is Big Slow a nickname?
0: <laughs> well, it has to be a Y it has to end. It's got to be crispy. It's got to be lavi. It's got to be LZ. It's got to be skillsy. It's I'll, gotta I'll be take, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take calves. Dutchy, which is Matt Duchesne's nickname. You could you do, you could
1: do, ca- well, you could put an S on the end of it.
0: No, it's cavy. I'm telling but, you this. No,
1: yeah, but, but I mean, don't you remember, uh, Radul would always talk about suits and webs.
0: Oh, there's very suits. few, very few are worthy of the S and pecs and webs are two of them. You are not in that Cats. status. You are not in that status. Cats. Sorry, you're you're stuck with me as Galsy, which is what Hal Gill has called me. <laughs> Hal Gill has called me Galzy for a long time, and I think it's the worst nickname of all time. So, so it sounds like an infection. Yeah, it does. Get, get some penicillin will clear that right up, though, I promise. Uh, <laughs> anyway, go to Jay's slash Jaspers and uh, eat some food. So... I'm curious because obviously this Predators team is about to enter the playoffs, ideally, which probably should happen here soon. They should clinch a spot. Um, I'm curious and I, and I don't, I don't mean this to to try to gain any insight on this particular team at all. That's not the goal of this question, but I'm because you're around the coaching staffs and you're around the players so much all the time. Do you ever have a sense because you've seen a team go on a cup run. You've seen a team disappoint in the first round. You've seen a team go deep into game seven of the second round. We've seen, Sort of the whole, you know, spectrum of of accomplishments in in the postseason. Do, do you, as a broadcaster, get a sense, a, a gut feeling about how a team is entering the postseason? Where you go, man, I think this team is 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 playing at the right, the best hockey at the right time, or I'm not sure. I've, I, I'm feeling the vibes in this locker room, and I don't mean anything you would say on the air, or right? Right. An, answering a radio, I just mean. Do you ever have a sixth sense about how a team is going to perform in the postseason?
2: I wish I could say I did in 2017. They're the last team to make the playoffs and they end up going to the final and fall as Peter Laviolette said, 68 minutes shy of the goal of winning the cup. Uh, So, I mean, there was no way in heck I'm going to think, Oh yeah, they're going to sweep Chicago. They're going to knock off St. Louis. They're going to knock off Anaheim and then go into the final. And as the two conference finals were going on, it was still possible The Predators would have played the Ottawa Senators for the Stanley Cup. So these are the things that, in retrospect, we know what happened. But I thought, really, the the best Predators team was the one after they went to the Cup final and won the President's Trophy. If that doesn't show you what a jinx the President's Trophy is, take a look at President's Trophy's winners since the Predators came into being. I think there's only four of them. Went on to win the Stanley Cup. And one of them, I think, was a a total aberration because we had the 48 game schedule in 2012, 2013. So the Blackhawks did go ahead and win the cup that year. And I'm glad you bring up, though, being around the coaching staff. That's something I missed greatly during the pandemic. I got the chance to talk with assistant coach Todd Richards for the first time last season when we had the draft show in July. I mean, here's a guy I had known with other teams in the league, but because of the, all the protocols involving COVID, I really had did not have the chance to speak with him in person. There's a guy playing for the Boston Bruins right now, Eric Howler, one of the Predators' better players last year. Never got the chance to talk with him. So, mm. thank God it seems this is getting over with.
1: <laughs> we, we've talked to we talked to a lot of sports writers and a lot of hockey writers about how the the analytics uh revolution has has changed some of the sports writing how do you how do you view uh analytics and is there a place for that in the broadcast booth
2: i like them i don't like to dwell on them i understand it provides uh, you know employment for quite a few people i feel a little bit guilty in the hockey realm because when Moneyball came out i bought a copy and gave it to david poyle uh that was not the sole reason it has come into hockey to be certain, but some people, I think, are over-reliant on that. I've seen it, and i not got to tell you, I, I like the idea of examining things, and there are no sacred cows, uh, but certain things, well, I, I think, really, in many ways, the Moneyball movie, my counterbalance to that is trouble with the curve. I thought that was great when Clint Eastwood was using his hearing to help determine whether or not a prospect would have or might have a chance. It didn't hurt that Amy Adams played his daughter uh, in in that movie uh, (laughs) at all. So I paid maybe more attention to it than I might have ordinarily. But I think the eye test is just as important as the number test. Putting all that information together and evaluating it without making the gold standard, the numbers themselves, over professional observation, I think is the key.
0: You mentioned uh, analytics. I know Peter Laviolette was a, a big analytics guy, even if he never told anybody any of that. Um, he, he was. <laughs> and, and I'm curious, the first thing I ever noticed about John Hines is just his communication ability. He's just an extraordinary communicator. Yeah. Is, it, is it easier to do your job with a, with a coach like John Hines versus a coach who sort of protects state secrets at all costs like, like Laviolette?
2: Well, yes. And, and number one, I got to tell you, John Hines is eager to he does an interview with me before each game. Uh, Peter LaViolette, his last year, only did an interview with me, the radio guy, unless it was a national televised game so that our TV people weren't there. So, uh, yeah, that protection of state secrets and so on. uh, It's almost like the days when uh, we would interview uh, Boris Tikhonov of the Soviet national team. And he would come out with these incredibly long responses. And then the interpreter would go, no. (laughs) so what i just heard was peter
0: laviolette is a soviet hockey player is what i heard you say just that coach coach sorry coach sorry yeah my bad my My bad how would you
1: how would you uh how would you rank uh uh heinz versus uh laviolette versus trotz in terms of kind of the kind of the the one-on-one ability to Uh, ability to, 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 to deal with them and and, and get what you needed for the broadcast.
2: Nobody could possibly surpass Barry Trotz for that. Now, from what I need for the broadcast, it's very possible. He might give me 20 minutes more than what I needed for my three minute interview, Barry (laughs) Trotz. Uh, You talk about long, long answers. And then uh, Peter Laviolette didn't like to answer a lot of the questions but I refused to give him the questions before I would start the interview. Uh, And uh, then we had, then we have John Hines. who was just happy to talk about the game. So, uh, but Barry Trotz, I think I would consider the gold standard right there. I've talked about gold standard a lot, haven't I? This is not, <laughs> this is not a
0: monetary podcast, is it? No. no, but it's an excellent podcast on this network about the Nashville Predators that everyone should be subscribing to the gold standard podcast with Adam Vingan and myself. Anyway, yes.
2: uh, Pete, what, what is your favorite part of calling a hockey game? Just the actual job of it itself uh, and not worrying about uh, wor- working in reads, not worried about, uh, you know, hitting a certain post in terms of time. Uh, And and here, that's something I should go over with you now with the influx of two new national networks in the U S covering the games on ESPN, they seem to favor dropping the puck as soon as possible. After the published time, I have roughly three and a half minutes of reads that I'm supposed to get in before we drop the puck. And then there's a three and a half minute break to cover the national anthem or anthems. Uh, that causes me to sound like the guy at the end going, remember FDIC, because that's just <laughs> that's how fast you got to do it. Uh, with TNT, then it's more like you're killing a penalty for a bit because it's usually at least 10 minutes after the hour. So uh, there has been a lot of adjustments that we have had to make in that period of time. And uh, I mean, I understand uh, the league is get, making a lot of money after all of that. But they don't necessarily understand what we have to do here locally.
1: For for a broadcast, what uh, what uh, a lot of people don't understand is that you have to pay the bills, whether it's uh yep. whether it's on radio or whether it's you know even on TV. What's the what's your favorite or or the most ridiculous or or the <laughs> most fun sort of read or or like kind of kind of spot that you ha- you've had to do in your broadcast career?
2: Well, there is one because we used to always share them. And Terry Chris paid him when he was handed this blue card to talk about a cornhole tournament coming up. (laughs) He just, he just could not get through that without losing his cookies. So uh, that, I think that that's the easy answer. That's the one that comes to mind first of all. And then there was, uh, when we had the sponsored uh, scratch announcements for the lineups that night, and I couldn't help it. He thought that in the early days, I was making up the name of a Russian player just to crack him up. So, and he thought I was doing it in conjunction with Scotty Bowman, his old coach. So Detroit's here for a preseason game. And their third defense pair is Jan Kalaboski and Maxim Kuznetsov. So I'm calling the action. And every time I say Kuznetsov, Crispy just go (laughs) on the air. And I heck, I might even have a recording of that someplace, but he thought, I was saying cuts his nuts off. And that's, that's how he interpreted that. So the next time we played Detroit and it's no longer preseason, it's regular season. And Maxime is not in the lineup. Hey, Terry, how about tonight's scratches? Well, for Detroit, we have (laughs) (laughs) Maxime, you know, and uh, go on from there.
0: So this is part, listen, I will say this is partly your fault because you, also have a juvenile delinquent sense of humor much like yes, terry, much like terry chris very so of, cor- so of course when crispy hears a russian word that sounds like cuts his nuts off of course he thinks that's what it is now here i've talked to crispy about this and i've talked to you about this yeah um who has won the most money by working in the words that you're supposed to work in crispy says he always lost the bet that you always would win because you'd get it in so fast but well expl- and I explain had the, what that is to people
2: i had control of the microphone so uh, I had I had a much better chance of working it in. So usually uh, from the production truck, our producer that night would say, OK, tonight, work in such and such. And I'm not going to use the first one that I want on because so, soft because dump. You don't want to talk about soft dumps. I, I, well, hey, there was the night in Dallas where the Preds beat the Stars, one nothing. One of their few wins down there. And our post-game interviews with Scotty Nickel, now the assistant general manager and in charge of player development for the Predators. Scotty, what was the secret tonight on this one Nothing went over the Stars? Well, we had a lot of good dumps. And, uh, (laughs) you know, that sort of thing. Uh, There was also the night Scott Hartnell scored his first ever goal in Boston. So it was upstairs, downstairs, intermission interview. Scotty, how do you feel to finally score your first NHL goal? It felt real good to pop my cherry on that one. <laughs> we couldn't follow up on that. I mean, and then He's we get on the t- He's a young kid, too. Yes, 18 years old. Yeah. We get on the bus after the game, and, and uh, Cliff Ronning holds up his cell phone and says, Scott, can you explain to my daughter what that was you said in the intermission? <laughs> I mean.
0: Can you, can you, so I've heard you guys sit around the bowels of Bridgestone Arena and tell yes. these stories for hours. Well, true. You, give me some, like, Please tell me the first one that you won on. Please, can you please tell us? There's no FCC here, Pete. Come on. Okay. It was camel toe. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. How'd you get it in? No pun intended. Easy. Mike Dunham was still the goaltender. So it's very early in the days of the team. And I said, wow, well, you take a look at Mike Dunham. He made that save. He put his glove down on top of the puck. Looks just like a camel's toe, doesn't it? <laughs> that was worth 20 bucks guys give us some give me some more give me some give me some more uh
0: give me the well, hardest the ones give were, me the hardest ones
2: uh, that was the hardest one uh, really. really i was really searching my brain to try to rack up that one but the other one seems to me so routine that i can't really recall them i mean but we would get it done and uh when we would take the first commercial break thereafter you'd hear applause in our earphones from the, from the truck. That's absolutely outstanding. And you have, I played for that for you, haven't I Braden? where Crispy sort of misspoke about kale hulls.
0: Yes, please
2: go on. Okay. So, so it was November of 2001 and late game for the listeners and the viewers back here. And it was still a simulcast, but Terry asked to have a replay of when, Kale Hulse, who was in his first full year with the Predators after the trade here from Calgary, to clear the zone, kicked the puck out because his (laughs) stick was held up against the boards. And what you heard on the air, essentially, aside from a bunch of hilarity thereafter, was Kale Hulse can't get his stick loose, so he just took a nice cock -er (laughs) or soccer kick to clear the zone. (laughs) and Johnson clears it just ahead of Hartnell
3: nice play by Cale Howells he couldn't get a stick loose all tied up so he just simply took a nice cock soccer kick and got that thing up to Greg Johnson and he just puts it all the way down ice. back out across the line to center dump the head Ragnarsson for San Jose. Stewart
2: up for Thornton. Pope checked away from the Nashville line. Predators back at full strength. Tank right out of the net. Off it comes down for Thornton. Tipped around. <laughs> off for Stewart. They shut off the glove of Volkoon. So we had a stage manager in San Jose who wouldn't have laughed at the funniest comedian in the world, who was bent over at the waist, laughing her keister off. A <laughs> radio engineer from the simulcast was right next to us, took his headset off, and he was on the desk like this, trying to you know, control himself. Well, what the heck are we supposed to do? Uh, it went another 90 seconds or so before Denis Arkhipov scored a rebound goal and finally settled things down a little bit. But we were still giggling about that on the bus after a loss heading to the airport that night to fly back home from Northern California. Uh, Then there was, uh, he had uh, Gary Roberts uh, working hard against Dan Hamhuis in the corner in a game in Florida, and he claimed that he had beat off Dan Hamhuis.
3: Outside, he makes a spin around to the left side of Finley, and he doesn't try the short side, Pete. He brings it out the extra stride and goes all the way across just inside the far post. So what an effort by Gary Roberts first to beat off Dan Hamus and then to beat Finley
2: on that good wraparound. All of these things, uh, somewhat risque, right, guys? No, but, not uh, at all. Somewhat uh, perfect is what I, I would say. <laughs> And then the night when they first started the rule about shooting the puck over the glass and delay of game, Dan Hamhuis, we're in Denver. Okay, so it's lighter air; the puck travels further. <laughs> it was in one end of the zone, and it flew over the glass at the other end. And uh, Terry goes, "Well, that's quite the, quite the uh, display there by Dan Hamhuis." And I go, "No, Terry, he's he's playing well tonight." Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, eternity is a long time for one penalty, Crispy. <laughs> like,
2: it, it really is. It really is. It's a long time. <laughs> to Hayduke up on the left board. Hayduke, low left. Brunette tried to tip it out in front. And it comes to Nickel, who got just enough on it to clear it out of the zone. His finger deflected that himself. Hayduke carries in. Holds up inside the line. For Brunette, but Hamuse got there. And Hamuse is able to clear it length of the ice. And damn, Dan, Dan Hamuse... No, no, he's fine. I think he's playing well, and Terry. Matthews
3: made a smart play. Come around the net. And they're attacking again. Holinka <laughs> comes back for Clark at the right point. Holenka in the corner. Hey, Duke. Out to the right side. Hey, Duke. And they have Clark on the weak side. He gets the rebound, but it was tipped by Jelena.
2: Uh, all right. Well, well I think good. that's the, I think that was the first 180 foot delay of game penalty.
0: That is that is extraordinary to think about, like going all the way over the other boards. That's that's crazy. Um, all right. So thank you for letting us relive some of those stories that I've had the pleasure uh, of hearing. And, and Hal certainly has never had any part in any of this, of course, because Hal is a, a total bo- a little a boy scout, of course, in all of this. He's never... Let me
2: talk about Kyle Turris's return game to Ottawa. And he got the tribute video. And then he's getting a nice ovation and on the ice, Kyle is skating around and doing this for the fans. And it's how it was verbalized by Hal. And Kyle Turris is giving the fans here the clap. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Welcome back video for Kyle Turris just shown on the scoreboard here and getting a very nice round of applause, which he is acknowledging. And he did a little lap there. I like that.
1: Yeah. Gave me uh, the clap.
3: <laughs>
1: the clap back as they were clapping for him, Pete. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Good for Kyle Terris to come back here.
0: and
2: <laughs> Very generous of him, uh, but yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I heard
0: Hal say like a couple of weeks ago, he was like, you got to love a big stick <laughs> so something yeah. like that. It, it's, yeah. it's something so weird about broadcasting. I don't know if it's hockey, maybe baseball, some too, but when you have a crease and a puck yeah. and a stick and, and, you know, boards like just, there's the, there's a lingo about hockey that allows us to be 12, oh, 12 year olds.
2: The most dangerous words I think are in hockey shift, puck, <laughs> Just think about those things and how things go along. I once had Cliff running chasing down. It was supposed to be puck, but uh, something else in the left wing corner. Oh, <laughs> so do, do we get the dump button at that point? Like do, do they that's have to... up to the guy back in the studio okay. because I can't, I can't affect it at all.
1: It's kind of kind of bad when you got to put your broadcast team on a seven second delay.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I, I I cannot argue that with you. <laughs> Now goes down behind the net. He's going to get dizzy pretty soon, folks. Back out it comes. The shot by 90 and it's waved off. Right away, waved off and cleared back through center into the Ottawa center
3: zone. I'm not sure if that hit the post or not, Pete. I'm not heard A little tinkle and the crowd was going crazy
2: down with her hands in the air. But the red... uh, Try to keep your uh, headset on if you can, Terry. As the puck comes over right side. Terry gets excited, folks, and every now and then loses his headset. <laughs> the puck is covered up. By <laughs> okay, I'm back, Petey. Yeah, glad, glad that wasn't you tumbling. Oh man.
0: So uh we'll let you go here. Thank you so much for your time. You've been you've been super gracious. But just can you try to describe this year's Predators team with all of your history of watching? Hockey, not just Nashville, but, but in 40 years of doing this, um, just try to explain some of the identity. When, when people say identity and culture and all these things, yeah. they're very they're very cliche, but you see it and you have to physically describe it all the time. So what, what makes this team unique in terms of the history of Predators hockey? What, what is what is unique about this team?
2: And I think in many, this team reminds me of the Buffalo team I called in the mid 90s where everybody stood up for each other. They were known as the hardest working team in hockey in Buffalo. They had these guys who would challenge you physically at the drop of a hat or less Rob Ray, Brad May, Matt Barnaby, Bob Boogner, who was a first year predator and now coaching San Jose. So I've seen that with this team, but this team has much more offensive capability than that Sabres team did. I mean, the, uh, that Sabres team that won the Northeast Division title in 96-97 uh, 90, had maybe three 20-goal scorers. This team has, well, one with 40 now and another who is just on the verge of going there. And plus a rookie like Tanner Janot who is just tearing things up, both realistically and uh, in the defensive zone. So I, I think that this team probably is balanced as well as any. And the difference with that and the Sabres team, the Sabres had some guy named Hashik backing them up. Now, UC Serros is no slouch whatsoever, but we'd have to give me the benefit of historical perspective of a few more years to say what was going on in that regard. And then I also have to say that I think that Pekka Rene's nurturing of UC Seros yeah. has a, a very seriously great effect on him and getting him ready for this league and lord knows he's going to end up with what 70 games played or so this year and that doesn't happen too often in the nhl anymore
0: no uh, a very different level of movement inside of the crease though between uc soros yes. and dominic oh. Kashik, complete opposites in oh, terms of man. how they play
2: the game that's for sure i would so. call dominic kashic with a melon save moving his head around while he was down on the ice and get up and to deflect a shot away uh nobody and he his nickname was gumby i yep. mean he was yep. he was that flexible
0: so i think Pete, my favorite call that i've ever heard from you i want to say it was game one against chicago in 17 and you said something to the effect of i believe Pecarine is wanted for felony in cook yes. county in cook, in cook county chicago uh it's still one of my favorite calls i've ever heard by anybody and, and it certainly we had no clue at the time what it was going to lead to, no. uh, but it led to an extraordinary memory. And, and uh, you've been alongside all these Preds fans for all these memories, and we, we appreciate your time. And hopefully, hopefully we're talking to you maybe a month from now
2: about two or three more playoff series. So I would welcome that. And the other thing that I will never forget from that Chicago series, here we were in the United Center for two games, and not once did I have to hear Chelsea Dagger two straight <laughs> shutouts by Dominic Kashuk. What a relief.
0: <laughs>
1: Pete,
2: thank you so much, man. We appreciate your time. You got it. Thank you for asking me.
3: Damn Dan Hamus. <laughs> no, no, he's fine. <laughs> I think he's playing well, Terry. Dan- <laughs> <laughs> so what an effort by Gary Roberts first to beat off Dan Hamus and then to beat Finley on that good wraparound. Nice play by Kale Halls. He couldn't get a stick loose, all tied up, so he just simply took a nice cock soccer kick and got that thing up to Greg Johnson, and he just puts it all the way down. Ice. <laughs> Back out across the line to center. And the crowd was going
2: crazy down through hands in the air, but the quick. Uh, try to keep your uh, headset on if you can, Terry. As the puck comes over right side, Terry gets excited, folks. Every now and then, loses his headset. The puck is covered up <laughs> Okay, I'm back, Petey. Glad,
3: glad that wasn't you tumbling. Oh, man.
0: That was Pete Weber and um, Terry Crisp and a variety of other people and all of their glory on Predators broadcast. I really, by the way, special thanks to Pete Weber for not only joining us today, but for also he like he was like, I'm going to send you these. <laughs> You're going to get these clips so that you can use them. I was like, uh, thank you, Pete Weber. I appreciate that. So he had him like literally before the interview was over. He had texted him to me. Because he had them so ready to go, this is twenty five years of audio calls, and well, he's got I, like the, the, the it was, bloopers it was perfect, ready to go. It was perfect
1: timing for this because they had done they'd done Crispy's night, uh, they'd done Crispy's night last weekend. So,
0: are you suggesting that he doesn't carry his best bloopers around with him at all times?
1: I'm suggesting maybe that they were organized in a way that they would not have been otherwise organized. Which, by the way, guys, I don't want to slam the Preds too hard, but could have done a little better for Crispy's night.
0: I'm yes, brutal uh, you mean uh, other than the worst period in the history of the franchise I mean I, <laughs> it's all right they bounced back in a big way on Tuesday night good win there so uh, yeah. we'll see what the series looks like because that's probably who they're gonna play Cal Gary in the first round Any, anything else uh, sign up for the newsletter tell everybody where they sh- where they should go sign up
1: go to NashvilleBanner.com. you can find uh, previous uh, previous iterations of the newsletter um, links to it to them there you'll get them you'll get them in your email uh, as we are recording this here on a Thursday, that we have a piece, uh, we have a video piece going out uh, done by Dimitri Kaladimos that we like a lot. It's about the Natchez Trace Bridge uh, and the, some problems that they've had there over the years. Uh, I don't want to, don't want to tease it up too much, but go, go, go check it out. It's a, it's a very good piece.
0: It's very, it's, it's important. Go watch it. Serious issues there um with the Natchez trace bridge that is for sure uh make sure you are rating reviewing subscribing clicking all the great buttons that we ask you to click whether it's on the youtube page uh the podcast app or of course uh you know just getting in your car and driving over to jasper's parking over for free there at jay's and eating some food um during a Fred's game during the draft you know Cavi might be there you never know you never know who's going to show you up You never jasper's. know <laughs> you never know special thanks to pete weber for giving us so much of his time today he is truly a gem a one of a kind and uh, I am honored to have worked with him in the past and just love listening to him tell stories. So uh, we didn't Braden, even ask him about baseball. He could go on and on and on about baseball. So. Braden, where can people find you on the socials? At Braden Gall on the Twitters at 440 sports, all that great stuff. Please again, click all the buttons. We really, really appreciate it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Special thanks to Pete Weber for Steve Cavendish. My name is Braden Gall. Thank you all for hanging out with us. We'll talk to you again next week. This has been Lame Street Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.